I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I was the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down Swanfield and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you shiny man? It's Tuesday's edition of the Irish Times Second Captain's World Cup podcast, and I gotta say, I'm looking over the desk here at Kieran Murphy, and I see the first signs of that grin turning to a frown. Over the last 24 hours, it has suddenly dawned on Kieran here, and I think quite a lot of us. But this World Cup is not going to go on forever. Not only that, Murph, it's more than halfway through. Don't don't say that. Thirty six games have been played and only twenty eight remain. Well, yeah, your your metric is flawed. Uh, it's over halfway in the amount of games played, mm. but it's still not over halfway in the amount of time that it's actually still on. So I can handle rest days, you know, if I know that there's more football to come, you know. So I'm I'm not actually that panicked. Now, at the same time, is there? a more darkly loaded phrase in the world than rest days. I don't need a rest, Murph. I know I fell no. asleep during the USA-Portugal game, but I, I, I've got that out of my system. I'm ready for three That's games, fine. four games. That's fine. I mean, I've talked to my sports scientist friends. They say that I'm ready for another four to five weeks of this stuff. So I don't really know why FIFA are giving me a rest day. <laughs> yeah. I don't want a rest day. Can I make a suggestion? Yes. And I know FIFA have been criticised for a lot of stuff over the last yeah. couple of weeks. But this is this rest day ridiculousness is the biggest deal as far as I'm concerned. My suggestion is all the teams who've been knocked out stay over there yeah. and play each other in their own mini competition. Do we really need to see the back of Cameroon? They've brought so much to this I know, tournament. I know. The England. Tommy, the Tommy Murphy World Cup, <laughs> we could call it. Or alternatively, you know, there is, you know, Team 33. Mm. You know, you could. What about Ireland? You know, could could they have not flown <laughs> Ireland over? Um, it, you know, as, as, as a kind of, you know, the, the minor game effectively, is what I'm trying to say here. Yeah. And a pair of teeth before the, the real action starts. I mean, there's no end of teams currently being eliminated from the World Cup that wouldn't hammer us 5-0. And uh, who, apart from us, wouldn't want to see that? Let's get over to talk about the real action with Ken Erdy and Natal. Yeah, you can laugh. That was the World Cup. And you're in Natal for today's big game, Italy versus Uruguay. You must be pretty excited. Yes, I am excited. I'm excited because it stopped raining as well. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I was a little bit worried that the city might fall into the sea. Uh, but it looks as though that, uh, that danger 
has been averted. So, uh, so we're going to have some good football today. Uh, I mean, Andrea Pirlo yesterday claimed that no team he's played in has ever gone out to play for a draw. Uh, it's never happened in however many 5,000 Italian football matches that he's played. Never once has he been part of a team that has taken the field thinking, you know what, since a clean sheet will automatically get us the result that we want, let's just concentrate on defending and, uh, and see if we can get the result that was way. Question it's never happened. Ken, yeah, was a question put to him, you were involved in Italian football, have you ever gone out with a team who've gone out looking for a defeat? <laughs> no, that question uh, didn't occur to any of the journalists in the room. It was a real pity you weren't there. Oh, that would have that could have livened things up at a pretty uh, a pretty lackluster Italian press conference. Um, I mean, the the Italians. Uh, it was Prandelli and Pirlo. Uh, Pirlo, as, as you can imagine, pretty cool. I mean, someone asked him a question. The kind of question that I've asked a couple of players in the past. So it was along the lines of. Andrea, why are you so good? Pirlo <laughs> <laughs> just sort of stared back at this guy and was like, I can't really explain it other than to say it's a gift that I got from my parents. Yeah. Other than that, I can't explain it. Uh, so, uh, Oh, and obviously I had the desire to be the best as well. But other than that, no, I can't explain it, sorry. So uh, so he didn't give too many insights into into how he sees the game or anything. But, uh, you know, that was, that was maybe the tone of the press conference. Prandelli... Mm, I mean, I I thought okay. So Italy against Uruguay. Italy didn't expect after the first round of matches to be in this position. They thought Uruguay will be dead. We'll already be through. This game will be a holiday. And um, now they're in a situation where it's with them or Uruguay in a in a fight to the death. Uh, two men, one elevator, and one knife. That's the situation that Italy find themselves in. Uncomfortable. Um, and what uh, Pirlo was talking about yesterday, uh, he came up with this interesting phrase, which was um, uh, somebody had asked him, well, uh, Andre Pirlo, um, you, uh, you're obviously, you, you play for a European team. Uh, we remember back in the day, 2006, you got to the World Cup final. There were four European teams in the semifinals that year. But this year, it looks as though the European teams aren't having it all their own way. For instance, uh, they've played South American teams six times, and in five of those occasions, uh, the South American team has won. So how do you explain this? Do geographical factors maybe explain this? And Pirlo said, these geographical factors are always important. When you come to these countries um, you know, where there's heat and humidity, uh, and then you play against players who are used to that, it's important. For instance, in South America, you can see that when Brazil or Argentina go and play in Bolivia at altitude, then they also struggle to adapt to the local conditions. And he said, but it's clear that there are two World Cups here, one in the south and one in the north. And that was kind of an, that was an interesting phrase from Pirlo. What he's saying effectively is that there's one World Cup which is being played at civilized European temperatures uh, in the southern venues. Uh, and then there's an entirely different World Cup, one which Italy are in, uh, one, one into which Italy have been condemned by FIFA, uh, which takes place in the steamy northern venues of uh, Manaus, Fortaleza, Natal, uh, Recife and Salvador. Uh, and Italy have played so far in, um, I think, Recife and, uh, and Manaus and will play, will play today in Natal. So Pirlo was complaining about this. Uh, and saying that this is this is unfair, um, essentially that you know how, how can they expect us? It's 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 ridiculous what's going on here. But 
his, his theory is actually complete loaded nonsense. Um, because if you looked at it, uh, yesterday, the game between Holland and Chile was actually the first game between a European and South American team in the north, in those five hotter venues that Pirlo was moaning about. And obviously Holland won. So, the, so it's now five to South America and two to Europe in terms of victories. The other victory, by the way, was Switzerland against Ecuador. Every other time a South American team has played a European team, a South American team has won. But all of those games have been in the south in comparatively cool venues. I mean, when Uruguay beat England, I think the temperature was about was 11 or 12 degrees. You know, it was actually quite it's actually a bit chilly. Um, you know, so it seemed to me almost as though Pirlo and the Italians have started thinking of their excuses already. Uh, how many people back in Italy are, are aware of what exactly what kind of temperature it's going to be when they play against Uruguay? It's probably going to be raining, uh, I think. It, it looks as though the matches will be, will be played in heavy rain later on. But it seems as though they're already kind of looking at things and reasons why oh, we're not going to have a problem. I mean, they, Prandelli mentioned several times the stats, the FIFA stats. They're, they're kind of interesting. Uh, he, he would say, look at our stats, you know, it shows that we've recovered. He was trying to be positive and say that this weather isn't having an effect on us. But actually, if you look at the stats, you see that Italy, of all the teams in the World Cup, are at the bottom when it comes to sprints. They sprint less than any team. Italy are a great team to shuffle around the pitch in formation, it turns out. <clears throat> they cover a huge amount of ground at low intensity. <laughs> and Pirlo's, Pirlo is the, the sort of the top low-intensity shuffler at the, at the World Cup. How many times do you think he sprinted against England? Oof. We're talking less than five? Yeah, we're talking exactly five. Uh, that is, uh, that's how many times that Andrea Pirlo likes to, likes to sprint. Against Costa Rica, Costa Rica had a novel approach, uh, which England didn't try. That was chase Andrea Pirlo around and try and tackle him sometimes. So they tackled him five times. Um, which and England only did it once. Pirlo uh, was therefore forced to sprint twelve times. Uh, really didn't like this, and uh, was much less effective in that game. So who knows? We might even see Uruguay attempt to chase Andrea Pirlo around in the rain. He's going to be looking pretty bedraggled, probably, and uh, and kick him. And uh, and we'll see how much influence he has in the game. It, it wasn't it was not an idea that occurred to England, but I think it might occur to Uruguay. Yeah, well, I know you were with the Uruguay camp too, Luis Suarez. I must applaud the media departments of some of the teams out in the World Cup. They're sending out the big guns, Pirlo and Suarez, to face the press hounds such as yourself, Ken. But we'll get to that a little bit later on. We need to hear a little bit of reaction to Brazil's destruction of Cameroon. Dion Fanning joins us. Dion, Neymar playing like an absolute superstar. Fred scoring a goal. All is good with Brazil now. Um. In the second half uh, against Cameroon, you could say that that you know that they turned it on and, and Fred Fred got a goal. And where I watched the game in in Rio um, is uh, around the corner from uh, Fred's club Fluminense, and they celebrated it like you know they didn't, they just looked sort of surprised as much as anything in, in the bar where I watched it that he'd scored. It wasn't kind of rejoicing as much as they were kind of sh- shrieking and going, "This is unbelievable! Fred has scored." Um, so. Uh, you could say that things are going well, but the first half performance was terrible. Uh, their defence looks uh, very vulnerable, and that's the thing that's that's so strange about this Brazil side. They're, they're dependent on Neymar, um, and you they are supposed to be kind of solid everywhere else, but they actually look very vulnerable. And you, uh, and uh, the way it's going, you would uh, you would think they'd struggle against Chile. Yeah, but the fact that the guy that they are so reliant on is delivering. 
such a spectacular performances, Dion. The piece of skill midway through the first half, he flicked it over a player, then backheeled it back over him to a teammate. There was another flick in the move, and one of his far less skillful teammates, it could have been Hulk or something like that, uh, managed to mess up the opportunity. But on top of that, he, the way he's playing, he's like Cristiano Ronaldo, but with a defensive work rate and, and a tackling ability to go with it. Uh, he has been sensational. He's 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 kind of effortlessly at the moment taking you know the, the weight of expectation on and and delivering for Brazil. I, I you know I, I think there'd be tougher tests than, than Cameroon, uh, a lot tougher tests. And you you'd look at the Mexico game, how how frustrating things things got there for Brazil. And this is this is the problem with Brazil outside of Neymar. Uh, there isn't anybody doing anything, and I think that's. In a strange way, a Brazil tournament victory would almost be an anti-climax in this tournament when there's been so much attacking football, so much open play. And Brazil are kind of open, but in a flawed way. They're, 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 they don't ask anyone else to do anything attack, in an attacking sense. Uh, it all goes through Neymar. And if he doesn't do it, nothing happens. And I, I, I don't think that's the, the way the rest of the football has kind of uh, sort of turned out in this tournament. I think though maybe the, the, the biggest moment for Brazil yesterday was not so much the the Neymar goals, but the Fernandinho goal, which means that Big Phil can now play Fernandinho from the start in the next match without losing face, because poor old Paulinho, uh, who he had been backing um, all the way and keep, he kept kept picking him, and everyone was saying oh, Paulinho's really not playing very well. Uh, and Big Phil kept saying, I, Big Phil, have faith in Paulinho, and I know that he's going to come good. And obviously he didn't, but he subbed him off at halftime. Fernandinho scored, and suddenly it looks to me as though Fernandinho's going to be in the team, and that instant, instantaneously transforms him into a much better team. Yeah, well, I thought it was interesting that you know there was so much clamour for change before the Cameroon game, and... You, you knew that Scolari wouldn't change anything because he wasn't going to let somebody come in against the, you know, the easiest group opponents and, and from the start kind of make a claim when he, all these guys he wanted to be loyal to. And he's like, well, these, these are the guys who can now you know, do something against Cameroon and, and you know, uh, become, become a kind of raise their reputations. But that didn't happen. And Fernandinho has done that. And that's the, the big change. And looking at the... Uh, Brazilian papers this morning. You know, an awful lot of it is, is around is around Fernandinho now in in the side and whether whether he'll stay there. And he's being kind of modest about it, uh, saying he's got to you know he, he hopes to stay in the side. But you know uh, you know Paulinho's a great player, all this kind of stuff. And um, but uh, it does it does seem to make a big difference to them. And I think going into the into the game against Chile, that's 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 what the change they need to make. There seems to be a lot of confidence or a lot of optimism around Chile's chances in this one, Dion, but traditionally they've struggled against Brazil. They're playing Brazil away in a World Cup and they come into it in the back of a, what could be a dispiriting defeat against Holland, maybe something of a dead rubber, but did a huge amount of possession in that game yesterday and didn't really create much. Are you as into Chile as a lot of fans seem to be? Yeah, I think, I, I'm not sure uh, how much you can read from that game, even though they were they were playing to avoid Brazil. I don't think. I think that the uh, the game against Spain is is a truer reflection of of what they're capable of. And obviously, we know we know how how Spain have struggled. But again, you see how Chile attacked them. How they 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 found their vulnerabilities. And looking at how at the, the chances Cameroon created yesterday, um, you would you would think that 
Uh, again, and this is the kind of the, the strange paradox of this Brazilian side that is that has very little flair in it apart from Neymar, and yet is very open and vulnerable. And you would think Chile could could exploit that. Do you, and do you think that an offside goal uh, has the same psychologically liberating effect that a proper goal is often said to have? Because um, Fred's goal yesterday was just a complete joke. I suppose that's two goals that we that we now have to put down to the officials, which makes them Brazil's, I think, second top scorer in this World Cup. Um, I think if, I don't think I don't. <laughs> I think the way things have been going for Fred, I don't think he would be too bothered that it, that it was an offside goal. I think Scolari will be the same. Uh, um, I don't. I don't see them making any changes. Changes there, and uh, um, if he's, I don't know. If he, if the way Brazil play, <laughs> he's not even in the side to to score score a goal. You know, it, it's something that builds and pressure builds on him to do that. But if he doesn't do it, if he does whatever you know, Scolari wants him to do, Scolari will be happy. I think it will. It will give him some sort of a boost to have scored, uh, even if it is offside. And I think. You know, again, the debate debate will kind of move on now before before the Chile game. Dion, great to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks, Alan. Just want to have a quick word, Ken, about the Mexico Holland last sixteen game, which should be interesting. I was watching Brian Kerr was co-commentating on the Mexico Croatia game last night. Rafael Marquez banged in a header for his side, and Kerr, who's been excellent on co-commentary throughout the tournament, said. I think Brian Kerr carries a lot of hurt from some of the underage tournaments that uh, they didn't quite win over the years, and uh, he said, "Yep." Marquez headed that exact same goal against us in the under-20 World Championship in Nigeria in 1999. So uh, another classic Brian Kerr reference. But Mexico were very good in that game. They're playing against Holland, whose manager, Louis Van Gaal, was a little bit snippy in his press conference. I was following Miguel Delaney's timeline, and it seems like Van Gaal was put out by journalists questioning him over what they deemed to be a bit more of a defensive approach than the first two games. (laughs) Um, Well, Van Gaal was ridiculing uh, the idea that he, uh, Louis van Gaal, had ever sent out a team to do anything more than simply win the match by any means necessary. Now, we're talking here about the guy who, you know, who, who is, is regarded as this apostle of attacking football within a very particular um, style. You know, this is, this is what he's been associated with at Ajax in Barcelona, at Bayern Munich. Um, but... Uh, yesterday he was he was basically insisting he was he was Giovanni Trapattoni. It was I don't care how they do it as long as they bring me back the result. Um, and so the journalists were saying, oh, you know, you were a bit defensive. Uh, and he said, oh, you tell me your definition of attacking then, since it's such a clever question. And this is the thing Van Hal loves to do is insult the intelligence of of journalists, which is his. It's like his great flaw as a human being <laughs> i don't mean that he's that he's condescending towards journalists i mean that he's condescending towards other people <laughs> the big problem that he has in uh, in maintaining stable relationships with people over a long period of time is that sooner or later people get angry they keep insulting their intelligence and turn against him uh, and that goes i think for journalists and players alike you just happen to see it when it happens to the journalists you just have to play according to your strengths it's all about winning says Louis van Gaal. Uh, I'll pick a system that helps me win. That's the proof of the pudding. We're not giving away much, but we're creating a lot. If I didn't do that, you'd chop off my head. Um, me and my staff, we only ever want to score one goal more than the opponents, uh, says van Gaal, who is... Um, I don't think that's usually the kind of thing that he says. It is the case, though, that Holland played a somewhat 
defensive. You could say a defensive game against Chile yesterday, but it wasn't really defensive when you look at the statistics. I mean, Holland had eight shots on goal and Chile had one. You know, is that, it doesn't seem like they were defending. I mean, what the, they let Chile have the ball. They let Chile advance up the field. And then what did they do? They've got Arjen Robin in their team. So Arjen Robin, they want to create space for Arjen Robin in front of the team. And once they do that, then he's the best player in the entire World Cup at running into it, exploiting that space in behind the opposing team. So Holland played in a way that drew Chile forward, created space for Robin. Robin, by the way, who's the player who is miles out in front of everybody at this World Cup when it comes to sprints. Mm. He barely moves unless it's at top speed. Mm. So he's he's having a really, really, uh, a really, really big impact. Created that second goal uh, yesterday, and I think Holden played in a way which was which was designed to, to maximise his impact. All right, back to today's games, chiefly Italy, Uruguay. Ken, you were talking earlier on about Andrea Pirlo. You were also at Luis Suarez's press conference. How was he? Good form. Yeah, uh, no, not really. <laughs> not particularly good for him, actually. He kind, he kind of came in and, and and sat down and looked with disgust at his um, sort of headset thing for the translation, as though he was already annoyed at the concept of having to put on this stupid apparatus. Um, then he, he kind of, uh, you know, he sort of, he was looking around quite mournfully. I, I wasn't quite sure what what was uh, what was up with him. Uh, he was it, it was a little bit. I mean, it was mainly talking about Italy against Uruguay, of course. Um, and I'm trying to think what he said. I mean, he didn't say too much of interest. The, the coach uh, Oscar Washington Tabarez was more interesting on that. See, Prandelli had said when he was in that they have a sense of patriotism that we lack. Which was an interesting thing for any international manager to say. Basically, their boys are more patriotic than ours. We have to be, you know, they obviously want it more than we do. Uh, to which Tabarez was a little suspicious. He wasn't saying, yes, we are. He was saying, no, the Italians are a great football nation. You know, they've written great pages of football history. I don't believe that they could lack patriotism. Uh, although I do have to say that my boys are extremely patriotic. Um, but Suarez was asked early on to explain his comment after the England match which was um, to the effect that uh, before the game, people in England were laughing at me. I'd like to see, you know, where are they, where are they now kind of thing. And it was sort of like, what, what is he actually talking about when he says that? Nobody here actually knew what he meant. Um, and Suarez gave this vague answer, which I think was made vaguer by the fact that it was coming to us via the bad translation from the FIFA interpreter. You get a simultaneous translation in your headset from an interpreter who's, who's, who's there in the press room somewhere. Um, the thing is that a lot of these interpreters quite clearly don't know anything about football. You know what I mean? It's, it's as though it was FIFA can find people who speak Spanish and English and can simultaneously interpret people who can speak Portuguese and English, Italian and English. But it's beyond them to find someone with those language skills who also understands football and can kind of put what the player or manager is saying. I mean, when you consider what a jargon-heavy world it is, it's almost a language in its own right. Um, it's, it's, almost, it's, it's slightly too difficult to find people who have all three of those skills, uh, you know, the two languages plus the ability to talk about football. So what Suarez then uh, said effectively was, you know, you work in the English press, you should know what I'm talking about. Um, I don't think it's, it's something that's, it's just something that happens in the media but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to go into it now, but, you know, you, sh- you know what I'm talking about, basically. I was voted the best player. Even the, even the journalists voted me the best player. And that's great. But we all saw what happened. And we're all kind of sitting there thinking, what's he on about? Like, we actually have no idea. Um, it was only a little bit later 
um, that we were made aware. That, I'm talking here about the journalists in the in the room. Sure. Um, of the Sun's front page from the day of the Italy Uruguay game, which was Rooney, Sturridge, and Sterling, uh, kind of mocked up. Uh, with these huge uh, vampire fangs, and the it was what was the headline? It was like, "Let's have Suarez for dinner, lads." Time um, to bite. Time back. to bite back. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> um, now, okay, I thought I saw this, and I thought, "All right, that must be what he's talking about." Because before the game, he said he's quite. He was quite specific before the game, and I was thinking, "What? No, no one has said anything bad about Suarez now in a long time. It's all been." Wow, Suarez is an amazing player, and wow, he's a player of the year, and what a player, and how can England stop Suarez, and uh, what are, he's, he's the best player in the league, and all this kind of, you know, just like worshipful type of stuff. Um, but that may have been it. Although at the same time, then I thought to myself, if this is it, if this is what he's actually complaining about now, he must have been through hell the last couple of years, because there's a lot worse stuff, uh, a lot worse been written about him if he's so sensitive that a joke headline which is what that is it's like a jokey day of the big game what are we going to do can anyone think of a pun no Hmm. can we photoshop false teeth on some player false teeth on some players to take the piss out of Suarez yeah you know that's it's not a serious thing so I struggle to believe that he's genuinely offended by that there are only two possible explanations in my view one is that Luis Suarez is a little bit crazy Otherwise, how could, you know, how could you take offense at something as ridiculous as that? Especially when, to be frank, he can't really complain about anyone making any reference to him biting people. He's done it twice. <laughs> if he'd even only done it one time, if he'd even only bitten a guy one time, then maybe after a few years he'd be like, oh, do we still have to keep talking about that? Can a guy make one mistake? But he do it twice. Come on, what do you expect? What's it's going to happen. And, and it's going to happen no matter where, no matter where he plays, whether it's England, whether it's Spain. So the other explanation, Ellen, is that Luis Suarez doesn't really care about the jokey headlines that appear in English newspapers, but that he has to affect, uh, affect disappointment uh, and anger in order to help to lay the groundwork for this move away from Liverpool, which... You know, the talk about which seems to be gathering pace. And nobody has nobody asked him about that specifically yesterday. I don't think that I don't think your question about that subject would have been welcomed by Uruguay, who of course have a pretty important World Cup match coming up today. So they weren't there to talk about Liverpool, Barcelona, Real Madrid and all this kind of thing. But you can see that uh, there does seem to be uh, something happening on that front. And this was one of the things that Suarez did last summer. Remember, he talked about the, the media and, and how he was treated and all this kind of thing when he, he did a couple of interviews when he was trying to get out of Liverpool. Now, in the end, John Henry wouldn't actually let him go. But you do wonder whether there was an agreement made last uh, summer, let's give it one more shot. Now, the, the, the person who's part in this, you've, you've got to remember, is Per Guardiola, the brother of Pep, uh, Luis Suarez's agent. Now, Per Guardiola was left looking a little bit stupid last year. He tried to get Luis Suarez out of Liverpool. He tried to get him to move uh, somewhere else. There was no bid from a big Spanish club. He couldn't get him to Arsenal. He was confused about the contract, or there was a legally unenforceable clause in the contract, which apparently was so legally weak that John Henry could choose simply to ignore it and pretend it didn't exist. Um, 
one way or the other, Pep Guardiola did not get Luis Suarez the move that they were both looking for, uh, and he was ended, and he and he ended up losing face, and I would imagine has been stewing with resentment over that, not just because of lost face, but obviously because of the lost cash too. Uh, Luis Suarez moves for a huge fee um, to Real Madrid or Barcelona. Then one person who's going to make a lot of money out of that is Mr. Pep Guardiola, and that's that's. That's his business. That's what he's in the game to do. In addition to improving the lives of his footballers, I mean, that's his, obviously his main mission. But his secondary mission is to, is to put bread on the table for his family. And uh, Luis Suarez moving to Barcelona Real Madrid would help him to buy a, a lot of bread. I mean, a huge amount of bread. Yeah, very quickly, Ken. Are Uruguay going to win this? I think Italy are a much better team than Uruguay. A much better team than Uruguay, with a couple of obvious exceptions in, in a couple of positions. But I don't know if they necessarily have the right attitude going into this game. The way that Pirlo was talking about the two World Cups, the way that they just seemed a little bit... I mean, they were denying that they've ever played for a draw. Clearly, Italy would love a draw. A draw puts them through in second place. There's nothing Uruguay can do. Uruguay have to win, and that's... At least it, at least it's clear in their minds what has to happen. Whereas with Italy, maybe there's a little bit of doubt. Mm, do we go for it? Do we hang back a little bit? It's going to be hard. Mm. I don't think Uruguay are thinking in those terms. They're just thinking in terms of going out there and killing Italy. So even though Italy are much better and Italy should qualify, I wouldn't be surprised if they got knocked out today. All right, Costa Rica are looking t- to top the group uh, against England. The other group, Murphy's Japan, Colombia, Greece, Ivory Coast. Technically speaking, this is very exciting because all four teams, well, Colombia are through, but the other three teams could go through. Mm. It's unlikely to happen in the case of Greece, who would need a very big win. Well, a three-goal victory, a three-goal a three win at least is what uh, is what they need. And yeah. That's not really going to happen. So we're looking at Colombia and Ivory Coast as the most likely two teams to go through here so yeah exactly Coast don't slip up against uh, Greece in some way possibly thereby letting Japan in who've got a better goal difference than Greece exactly exactly that's basically it. I, you know you would think that Ivory Coast are in pole position here but then again Costa Rica are top of the group of death so <laughs> let's probably not make too many bold predictions Ken before we wrap up you've got an email or you've had a little bit of con- correspondence I believe with regards to Maradona's show which you talked about in yesterday's programme yeah um, Danny Fitzgerald uh, who, who blogs about uh, Argentinian football at Pigami, Camagusta, had written about this, pointing out that I, I said Maradona's show was terrible, uh, which he does admit was lame enough. <laughs> and Maradona seemed to be uh, tired yesterday. Uh, but he, he pointed out that when I was watching it, uh, uh, when Gary Lineker was on, I kind of turned it off after that. But actually, the, that was only halfway through the show. I thought the show was over, but it goes on for ages. Uh, Diego Maradona then was attacking FIFA, read out an open letter accusing um, uh, Grandona and his buddies at FIFA for trying to gobble up football uh, whole. He pointed out also that the, I was sort of saying, look at this, it's, it's kind of sad to see Maradona just trapped in this constant repeating loop of nostalgia about his own, his goals in, in 96. And the thing is, it was the 28th anniversary um, when it, when it is the anniversary, you do uh, to an extent. You know, you can you can have these uh, these things going on. But he said that there was another story Maradona told where uh, when he played against uh, Brazil. Remember the goal that Argentina scored against Brazil in the nineteen ninety World Cup, where Maradona um, this slightly portly, slightly past his best Maradona managed to summon up some inspiration, dribble away from some Brazilian players, and then play a pass diagonally to Kinesia, having drawn the entire Brazil team to him play Kinesia in, said that uh, when he fell to the ground 
uh, after being bundled up, I was waiting for Kanisha to put the ball away. It was like the air had filled with the scent of his mother's cooking, and he was at the kitchen table. Mm-hmm. What do you reckon? I don't know if that's ever happened to Murph uh, as he waits to watch a ball sail over from. Uh, mm. I'm, I'm, from my, my, my mind goes back to uh, uh, the St. Jarvis College St. Pat's of Tume Derby in the first year championship when I'd been laid out, prostrate on the ground by my, one of my best friends playing cornerback for St. Pat's. He elbowed me directly in the face as a shot... No, no, as, uh, as a shot arrowed straight into the top corner of the net in the town goal at oh, Jim Stadium. It's one of my, it's one of my favourite memories, but I, I can't... Rem- I, I didn't actually see the ball going into the net because of... All you could smell was your own blood. Yeah, that, yeah, that was basically Murph, it. Yeah. we'll leave it on that. Beautiful memory of your mm. footballing days. Thanks so much to you. Thank you, Owen. Thank, Thank you, you very much, Ken. Enjoy the game in Natal and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, guys. Talk most to you then. Most importantly, thanks for listening and we'll be back with a new Irish Times World Cup podcast post the Italy game. We'll have that out for you nice and early tomorrow. That's Wednesday. So we'll talk then. Take care. You can see the level of expectancy. Coach, this is the game you wanted a victory, but it didn't happen. What happened? Oh, Pepe's such an idiot. A game that they've been looking forward to for a long time. Where do you where do you think you got it all wrong today? And then Pepe just ruins it for everyone. Thanks a lot, Pepe. You can see the level of expectancy. <laughs> he was fucking dreadful. Sorry, yeah. we're, not we're out of here. Oh, we're not, are we? We are. Oh. Well, I apologise for that, but obviously, <laughs> it didn't exactly do it. All right.